touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland and I'm joined once again by my esteemed colleague, Scott Benjamin. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, you've asked me back a few times. I know. I keep doing it because you keep saying yes. Well, I appreciate the invite. Uh, (laughs) This is always a fun one to do. And it's, uh, it's great. You know, I always like to have him on. Usually we have Scott on to talk about, uh, things that have to do with cars because, uh, that's a world that Scott's quite familiar with. He's, and I mean, I don't even know how many episodes car stuff is up to now, but it's got to be in the hundreds and hundreds. So. Uh, it's like 650 or so. Yeah, so you guys are, you know, you, you've been around for a while and you've talked a lot about cars, but this time I thought we'd talk about something a little different. We're going to talk about e-bikes, mm-hmm. which, as you mentioned before we started recording, uh, the E stands for the sound you make when you're riding it. Oh, that's if you're going downhill really right. fast, I guess. <laughs> uh, I, I often... Follow that up with a series of other sounds, some of which make words that I can't say on this podcast. Mm-hmm. But uh, we were talking about electric bicycles, various types of electric bicycles, and kind of uh, some of their counterparts that are similar to them. And you might have seen stuff about e-bikes recently. Uh, there's been a couple of products that have been coming out of the prototype stage that have made it something uh, that is more accessible to the general public. Before, I would say there were it was like a very niche audience, like bicycle enthusiasts and uh, some do-it-yourselfers who really were into this. But now we're actually seeing it where people uh, who are living in maybe city environments can get hold of these, uh, especially if they're trying to transition from car ownership to something else. I mean, you've probably heard the story about millennials not flocking to car ownership the way previous generations have. In fact, we talked about that a couple times in previous episodes. Mm-hmm. So uh, bicycles are becoming more and more important in uh, the United States. They've been important in other parts of the world for ages. And electric bikes are becoming a big part of that. But here's the interesting thing. It's a long way to go for this, but... They're not a new idea. No, no, no. They're far from a new idea. In fact, this goes back, uh, oh, what, 120 some years now? I think. Say what? Yeah, yeah. Long, long time ago. So what, back to, uh, oh, I want to say it's in the, uh, the late 1800s, right? Right. Um, I think my notes say the mid to late 1890s, but the first one that I've actually got an account for, you know, the actual, uh, the date that was given, mm-hmm. it's right around 1897. Wow. And uh, it had a double electric motor design. Now, I, there may have been one prior to that. I'm not sure. But it actually had two electric motors. And we talked about the complexity of a two-motor design earlier today. It seems like it would be an impossible thing to do, really. Right. Nearly impossible. At least it would seem impractical. Oh, that's it. Maybe not impossible, <laughs> but impractical. That's a better way to say it. Because we, we talked about the pros and cons of different types and how they work and, and the characteristics of each one and what you would have to do to to pair two of them together right. to make them work in tandem. Right, yeah. What happens if you cut the power to one and you forget to cut the power to the other, and yeah. then next thing you know, you're doing flips? Well, I have a feeling in 1897 it wasn't quite as complex as we're making it out to be. It right. was probably a lot simpler. But then in uh, in 1898, so just one year later, there was a drive belt design that came around. That's which is cool. Yeah, it is kind of cool because that's different than what we're seeing today, which you might think you're seeing that today, but you're seeing probably a version of... Uh, a moped, really, or something yeah, like that, yeah. uh, which we'll talk about the difference of that, too. And then in 1899, this is one that I, I really wanted to talk about just for a second. There was a uh, a patent you know, pulled for a friction roller wheel design, which is really unusual. And this is one that we haven't seen maybe ever on a bicycle recently. Can I, can I make like a, a guess on what this is? Uh, sure. Because I, I, I haven't read the patent. So yeah. uh, what I would guess is this means that there would be an electric motor that would turn a small wheel that is actually right up against one of the primary wheels on the bicycle, and the rotation of the small wheel is translated into the rotation of the larger wheel. That's exactly right. Now, it seems very um, inefficient, doesn't yeah. it, to, to do it that way. It was it was mounted, uh, I guess it would be behind the rider's seat above the wheel. Gotcha. And it would, it would, the pressure was a downward force on the wheel, on the surface of the wheel where it would, uh, where it would contact the road. Right. And that translated to, as you said, the, uh, you know, the, the drive, the actual drive wheel. Which to me, that would be not just inefficient because obviously the smaller wheel is going to have to rotate many, many, many more times mm-hmm. faster than the large wheel. Yeah. Right. But also it means adding more wear and tear on that 
particular wheel of your bike. You're exactly right. And uh, it just seems like a, it seems like a difficult design to make work. But I just wanted to tell you that, you know, even prior to 1900, people are really thinking about this. They're really, you know, considering the idea that an electric bike is something that, that is necessary to get around town. And, and quite honestly, you know, where did they have? It's not like they were in a crowded city at that point. Probably, right, right. it's not likely. Uh, they might have been, but um, it would it would be more for uh, you know like a country ride or something like that that they would use it for, right? I would imagine so. I mean, unless you're talking about uh, you know you're, you're when you see the rise of the cities, really because of the rise of the automobile. Mm-hmm. When you see the rise of the automobile, which gave rise to to cities getting larger and larger and more sprawl. Uh, perhaps you could argue that the bike would have been useful for someone who cannot afford a full automobile, but still needs to make a commute. But we often here in the United States in particular, we have often thought about bicycles as recreational devices, right? Mm -hmm. This is the thing that we use. Uh, You want to go out and get some exercise. You want the fresh air. You want a nice relaxing ride. And uh, in fact, when we were first talking about doing this topic, it was only when we started talking about the possibility of using a bike in instead of uh, a car or taking public transportation in order to get around regularly that something like an electric bike really started to make sense. Because otherwise, you, you kind of want that that exertion. That's part of the experience. Yeah, let me, let me just for one second go back and, and kind of defend my, uh, my, my country ride example, because the way that I, I picture um, cities right around the turn of the century, you know, the turn of the 19th century. Sure. Is that they were they were crowded with uh, cars, which were relatively new at the time, right. brand new at the time. Um, carriages, lots of horses, lots of people walking. But yeah. I don't necessarily think of seeing a lot of uh, a lot of bicycles in city environments. That's from, true. from photos of that day of that era, right? right. Um, or or depictions of it. You know, whether it be drawings or whatever, yeah. you don't see a lot of bicycle riders. However, today in crowded cities, you do see a lot of bicycle riders. Yeah. I mean, that's de- and especially in places like China, where it's extremely crowded and, uh, you know, maybe not everybody can afford a motorcycle maybe, right. or, or a big scooter um, or def- definitely not a car. Right. Bicycle is a good option. But as you said, um, they're not necessarily in it for, you know, exercise or to get out and, uh, you know, to get the uh, get the heart pumping or whatever. Right. Especially in places where pollution might be so bad that you don't necessarily want to be breathing hard. No, this is just like an inexpensive method of transportation, right. a way to commute. And uh, and also, you know, to take up as little space as possible when you're not using that thing. Right. Yeah. So now we're starting to see this grow in popularity here in the United States. Uh, like I said, in some parts of the world and in, in parts of Europe, it's all it's been popular for years. And in fact, electric bikes have been. Uh, around for quite some time in in both Europe and the United States as well as Asia, but uh, these are uh, you know, we've seen a lot of development over the last I'd say couple of decades. Mm-hmm. We've seen really some some interesting development to the point where it's become uh, something that the average consumer can can be aware of as opposed to you know the bike enthusiasts. Part of that is battery technology. Yeah, I mean I don't know if I'm jumping ahead of you here, no, but no. Uh, but part of that is battery technology because. Lead-acid batteries, that's the kind of battery that you typically find in an automobile now, right. a, a typical one, not not one of the newer ones. But um, they're big, they're heavy, they're bulky. I mean, it's just uh, it's difficult to carry that kind of weight around on a bike. You're trying to remain as light as possible with this type of setup, as we'll talk about in a moment. But, um, you know, with some of the newer battery technology, like lithium-ion batteries or even, you know, some of the uh, uh, nickel-cadmium batteries, sure. um, you know, or, or nickel-metal hydride batteries or, or even the sealed – some of these uh, – I guess the sealed lead-acid batteries, some of them are small enough that could – you know, you could potentially use them. But the uh, the lead-acid batteries tend to be a lot heavier than the other right. types of batteries. Yeah, the other thing that, uh, uh, you know, those batteries have been a challenge not just from a size perspective – but also safety, obviously, lithium ion in particular. You know, you do, you want to be really, uh, you don't you don't want to overheat your lithium ion batteries. Well, and it's not a great idea to also be biking around with a box of sulfuric acid. Yeah, that's, and that's that's what it is. Yeah, that's that can be a bit of a that can be a bit of a drag if things go wrong. <laughs> it sure could. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, like I, I think of here in, here in Atlanta, for example, things can get pretty hot. So. Imagine that you have a really hot day and you're taking your electric bike for a ride mm-hmm. and you've got your battery, your lithium ion battery, and you're hitting, you know, you have to hit Dead Man's Hill. It's the craziest hill in Atlanta, which I just made up. And uh, you, uh, so you, you kick the bike into full gear to try and help you as much as it can to get up there. I could imagine that lithium ion battery getting really kind of deteriorating rapidly due to 
we're operating at such a high temperature. Yeah, heat is the worst enemy of batteries. Yeah. I mean, I know that uh, they die often in cold weather, but heat is where the real damage occurs, and then you don't realize it until it's cold, and all those chemical reactions are slowing down. Right. And that's when you really feel the you feel the pain uh, from you know the damage that was done in the summer months. Right. Now, of course, the nice thing is that most of the systems we're talking about, in fact, all the ones I'm familiar with. Uh, have replaceable batteries. So mm-hmm. worst case scenario is you swap out a dead battery for a new one. Uh, obviously, you want to preserve the life of your batteries as long as possible for multiple reasons. Financial would be a big one, but also just, you know, it's more environmentally friendly to go easy on your batteries so that you don't have to have, don't have to worry about, well, how do I dispose of this thing now that potentially has toxic materials in it. But let's be honest, the financial reason is the big one. That's the big one. I mean, it is the big one. I mean, th- th- another thing we need to point out is electric bikes can be pretty expensive. Even the the conversion kits where you can turn your existing bike into electric bike, some of those can be some of those can dwarf the price of your original bike. <laughs> Absolutely. I've seen kits, just conversion kits that yeah. that range anywhere from, you know, I think it was about $775 right. up to $2,000 where you're not getting an entire bike. Yeah. You're getting the the kit to make your existing bike into an e-bike. And yeah. and of course the $2,000 kit comes with everything you would ever want. Right, all the sensors the, and everything. The $775 kit doesn't even have a battery with it. Right. I, th- I think there's no controller. I mean, it's just uh, it's it's a very basic, basic kit where you're going to have to add parts to it in order to make that even work. So right. it can be expensive, but maybe so, maybe it's better just to buy a bike right from the manufacturer. Yeah, yeah. There, there are choices, right? I mean, you can get a bike that is designed as an electric bike from the beginning, mm-hmm. and it's got the systems all integrated into it already. So it's going to those are going to look the nicest yeah. obviously they're going to cost a lot they're going to cost a lot if you convert a bike then depending upon the conversion kit you have if it's one of those where it's a real DIY kind of approach it'll work but it'll probably also look kind of weird because the bike that you have was not originally intended to be an electric bike you had to add all these different components on it you have to put a battery pack somewhere on that thing mm-hmm. and uh sometimes that means that you have a big bulky section of the middle of the bike. But there are other types of electric bike converter kits as well that um, incorporate all the elements into the hub of either the front wheel or the rear wheel. Mm -hmm. Those are kind of cool. Now, it does mean that the hub of that tire is going to look enormous (laughs) compared to a normal bicycle tire. Sure. But but all the other elements are hidden away, right? You don't have... you know, and there are only a couple of examples of this, but you don't have like a big external battery pack that's hanging off one of the bars of your bicycle. Yeah, unless unless you go back to one of those kits like we talked about, yeah. where you know that you do have a big canvas bag that has a battery attached to it, and the, the speed controller and all the other electronics that go along with this. And you know, I mean, that stuff is going to be zip tied to the frame of your bike. I mean, yep. it's not. It's going to look like it's a kit that you added onto your bike. It's not going to be as as buttoned up as the. Uh, as the bike that would come from the manufacturer right. would look. Because they, you know, they drill holes in the frame and they feed the wire through there and it only exits where it needs to. It's right. very, uh, it's very uh, minimally obtrusive, I guess, on the, uh, on the design of the bike. Yeah, as opposed to having zip ties every couple of inches to yeah. hold everything in place. And there and... still kind of is that element of these, even, even with the manufacturer built ones, you know, the ones that come from the factory, you know, where I don't know how many they build a day, maybe, you know, it depends on the place, I guess, but yeah. it, it would, I would think it's very few because these are hand assembled, of course. Yep. Um, but yeah, they're, they're pretty well buttoned up, but, uh, they still have a little bit of that, you know, uh, a little bit of that look like it was kind of made at a workbench. Yeah, a little janky. But, a little but bit. It, but in a good way, like kind of in that, that, you know, again, like that DIY sort of approach. And they're getting better and better. Yeah. And so I guess it's good to talk about, you know, the different types of electric bikes as well as to compare them against other powered bicycles. Mm-hmm. So the powered bicycle I always thought of when I was growing up uh, was not electric at all. It was it was gas powered. It was mm-hmm. the, the motorized bicycle, the moped. Moped, yeah. Yeah. So you've got the motorized and pedal, P-E-D, so moped. Or velocipede. Some people say that's from the old term for bicycle, velocipede, which dates to even earlier in the, uh, uh, you know, the the 19th century. Uh, that was my favorite arcade game, velocipede. Velocipede, yeah, yeah, where you had to, you know, t- shoot the little penny farthings as they came down the screen. Um, yeah, the the moped is uh, similar in many ways to electric bicycles, except of course it's not running on electricity. 
Mm-hmm. It's got an actual motor. A tiny gas uh, engine, I should say. Yeah, a tiny gasoline engine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that's what I tend to think of, too, when I think of, of a a pedal-assisted powered vehicle. I, yeah. I think of that. That's uh, that's the one I go to. Is like that old moped design where you see, would see somebody pedaling like crazy to either get it moving or, more typically, you would just see the pedals you know, remaining where they are. The people would have their feet on the pedals, but right. it would be all... You know, gasoline power that they're using. They're using just the engine to propel right. themselves forward. Yeah, they've got a throttle control, and the throttle control pr- provides the power, which drives the the drivetrain, and you don't have to do any pedaling at all to keep it going. It was very rare to see somebody actually pedaling a a moped to the point now where the term moped, by at least some people, is used as a generic term for any non-motorcycle motorized two-wheel vehicle. Okay, this is where we, we had a little discussion about yeah. this at our desks earlier today because we sit next to each other in the office, yep. and, and we were kind of throwing this back and forth a little bit, like, okay, if, if this is a moped, what what is a scooter, and then how do you differentiate between that and a motorcycle? And, you know, there's there's traditional ways to do that by engine size. You can, you can right. say that, you know, a moped is between... 49 cc's and all the way up to 250 cc's, but now I think that there are some, uh, what they call, I want to say they're called like maxi scooters mm. that are bigger than that. They're capable of going faster, but they're still considered a scooter, but they're allowed on roads, but not on highways. And you do sit with your feet forward, you know, on a platform in front of the, the chair. So there's like a pass through between the handlebars and where you sit. Right. You're not on, you don't have your feet on pedals, in other words. Or pegs. Yeah. As you would on a motorcycle. It's on like a little, just its own little platform. But some of those maxi scooters are capable of, you know, 80 miles per hour, 75 miles per hour, something right. like that. Um, that's not the typical scooter that I think of. I think of the old Vespas, you know, which were, you know, the older ones, which were creeping along at about 30 miles per hour max. But they did have that traditional seating position where you can you can picture that right with the the platform in front where your your feet are side by side in front of you, mm-hmm. and that's what I think of. They didn't have a pedal right mechanism at all like a moped does. So that to me was the 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 break between scooters and mopeds. But now I guess there's a, a blurred line between what's a moped and what's a scooter. Yeah, I think it's just I think it's just in the the use of the term being very casual about it. Right. Yeah. I don't think it's. I think if you were to nail someone down and say, no, let's let's get to the technical uh, distinction between these, they would agree. But I think casually people re- refer to practically anything that doesn't look like a motorcycle as a moped or a scooter, and, one or the other. And honestly, it really doesn't matter. No. We're just trying to, to segment these different things into you know, just to find a way to discuss them where everybody can picture the same thing. Now, the interesting thing also about mopeds to me is that uh, some of them are designed so that, yeah, you could pedal and propel them just under pedal power if you needed to, like if the engine died or you ran out of gas. Yeah. Uh, it's not easy to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a very heavy vehicle. Sometimes it looks like you're pedaling like crazy and you're not really getting anywhere. Some of them, really, the pedals were more about getting the engine started, mm-hmm. right? So it wasn't about providing any for- form of propulsion. It was just about getting the engine to the point where you could uh, get the ignition going and, and take off. Exactly right. So uh, that kind of separates it from electric uh, electric bikes in another way. So you've got two big separations. One, you're not using gas with electric bikes. But the other is that with a true e-bike... You are supposed to be able to pedal and power the bike, or uh, you use some form of pedal assist. Uh, that's where you get the pedalex type of bikes. Mm-hmm. So that's that's often what they're called, uh, where they are providing some of the power to turn the wheel of the bicycle so that it offsets some of the force needed. Yeah, and then you have power on demand electric bicycles, where the electric motor is providing all the power you need to propel the bike forward and you can you can cut the motor off and then continue to pedal or if you just want to have a real easy ride of it you just power the throttle and that gives the electric motor the the power to to push the bike forward on all so it's you're using it as if it was a scooter yeah. not not a bicycle at all right for the power on demand systems right. okay and the pedal x when you mention that i think people might be confused by the term but that's a a combination of three words it's pedal electric cycle and it's pedalex it's spelled a little weird but um pedalex yeah. i've also heard electpeds simply to say that it's similar to mopeds so instead of motor pedals if you want to think of it that way it's electric pedals but pedalex is definitely the more common of the two that i've seen and you know these are these are pretty popular i think in um as we said in in cities you know the pedalex systems are the ones mm-hmm. that we see a lot of because 
those are the ones that if you're pedaling, you get like a, um, and I've watched a few videos of these recently. That's yeah. how I'm, I'm kind of familiar with what's going on here. But when you, when you get on them and you're pedaling, it's like you're feeling something that's, that's pushing you. Right. Uh, it's like it's pushing you along because these are rear wheel design things mostly. I mean, I, we've seen them on the front wheels, but that's more unusual. Usually yeah. they're on the back wheel. Yeah. So it's pushing you along, and a lot of times when you watch these videos of people who are, are reviewing them or testing them or, or trying them for the first time, you know, never tried an e-bike before, this pedal assist type system, when they get on them and they start riding, it, they start to giggle. You know, yeah. it's like they're laughing because they're, they're barely pedaling, but they're cruising along as if they were really, really pumping the pedals like really fast, and they're passing every other bike on the bike path. Um, you know, top speed vary between, you know, different models, but you're going move along at a pretty good rate, a pretty rapid rate for mm. the limited amount of pedaling that you're doing. And that's really the benefit of these pedal-like systems. Yeah. That and, you know, let's say you're riding into a headwind. Are uh, you riding up a hill? Right. Uh, which would be, you know, pretty important here in Atlanta because it's not a flat city no. by any means. Um, so that would be helpful. But um, the, the pedal-like systems can be used by um, law enforcement. You know, if they're mm-hmm. on bikes, it's a great thing because it, it gives them kind of an, an edge, I guess. Yeah. If they're trying to, I don't know... Uh, catch up to somebody who's on another bike. Yeah. Um it, it assists them in in you know just having to do less work to to get More up to speed. that speed. Sure, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. And there's a lot of different variety of um uh different types of gearings and things that you can get with the different types of motors as well. So they they have their own purpose. Like if you want mm-hmm. one to go fast, you get this type of of motor. If you want one that's going to pull a lot of weight, let's say that you're carrying a um, a trailer, a small trailer behind yeah, your bike. Cargo or, bikes. Yeah, sure. cargo bikes. That's a, I'm glad you said that because I had it written down somewhere that I wanted to talk about that. Uh, there's a different type of motor uh, than the ones we've been kind of focusing on mostly. Right. Uh, it's, it's a geared motor mm-hmm. that would be more efficient for heavy loads like that. If you're pulling a trailer, if you've got a, a cargo bike, like you said, or if you're a bigger rider, you know, somebody sure. who's, uh, who's a little heavier on the heavier side, a geared motor might be the one that you want. Yeah. Uh, mid drive motors are also really good about, uh, pulling a lot of weight or, uh, kicking into, to gear for something like a, a real steep climb. So let's mm-hmm. say, that you live in San Francisco and you've decided that you want a bike to work because you're crazy, uh, then you may want something like a mid-drive electric bicycle because it's going to give you a lot more oomph when you start hitting those really steep hills, those really tall, steep hills. I mean, they're not just steep. They go on forever. Can so I, you need that kind of... Can, you know, I, can I interrupt you for a second? Sure. When I went to San Francisco, this is a long time ago, maybe 15 years ago. Yeah. I had a friend who, you know, I graduated with this this person, and he was now working out there with his wife. Mm-hmm. And I was in town, and I had never been there before. It was my first time there. And they decided that the way we were going to get around town was on bicycles. That, so this friend doesn't like you. Is I, I don't know what was going on, but <laughs> I was just huffing and puffing the whole time and would have to occasionally get off and walk my bike up the hill. And yeah, as, it's, it's crazy. Well, as would they. And, you know, yeah. they, they were even accustomed to it. You know, they had been doing this for a year or two years at that point. So they were uh, in a little better shape. Than, sure. than I was on that bike. And, and honestly, even, you know, back, I lived in Michigan at the time. Even there, I wasn't necessarily biking all the time, so it wasn't really my thing. Right. But, you know, then we're in the, uh, you know, these extremely hilly areas. We, we rode up to the middle of, um, of the Golden Gate Bridge, mm-hmm. and you don't realize until you're on that bridge that the, the, it's a, it's to the a, midway point is uphill. Yeah, exactly. Coming back was fine. But, <laughs> That's uh, great. Yeah, uh, unbelievable. I couldn't, I, I just could not keep up with that. Yeah treacherous yeah. place to ride a bike and this, that's the sort of thing like th- these bikes are really good to help for folks who want to uh use a bike more frequently but they might encounter these issues or maybe for example you know one of the little peep behind the curtain the episode we're recording right now you guys is the very last full episode of any podcast in how stuff works to use this studio yeah this building yeah, this studio that we are recording in right now is going to be broken down as soon as we're done mm-hmm. and then moved across town. Now, when we go to that new place across town, it's closer to where I live. And I'm thinking about biking to work whenever the occasion merits it. Fantastic. I mean, yeah, that's a fantastic idea. Fantastic. I also am really thinking about getting an e-bike system, a pedal, a pedelec system to help me if, uh, because I, I don't want to have the experience of biking to work and arriving at work looking like I just biked to work in Atlanta. Sure. <laughs> Especially in the summer. Yeah, I understand. But see, you want a little bit of exercise at the same time, right? Yep. And it's going, there's going to be hills in between you and the office. Yep. 
And uphill both ways, I'm sure. Yep. And uh, with, uh, you know, humidity ranging in the 90% area, you know, you, you can't get around the sweating. So uh, Yeah, and we're talking about uh, several miles. It's yep. not it's not like it's around the corner or anything like no, that. It's, so It's a good 25-minute ride from my house. Okay, so that's, yeah. a, that's a reasonable distance. I, I can completely understand why you would want something like this. Now, right. now me, I'm not a bike rider right. to begin with. Um, I have one. It's collecting dust in the basement, I think. I think I still have it after the last move. <laughs> I don't even know, but uh, it's it's just not my thing. I mean, yeah. around, I don't live in town, so I don't really have a use to just quickly grab a vehicle and get somewhere, you know, five blocks away or whatever. Sure. But that would be a perfect use for somebody, uh, you know, if, if they did have a need like that. Or like you say, to get to work, you know, on uh, days when it's sunny mm-hmm. and uh, and humid when you don't necessarily want to, uh, to, you know, fully exert yourself, get in there as well. Right. And... Uh, we could also di- differentiate really quickly between electric bikes and electric motorcycles. There are electric motorcycles. Yeah. Uh, Harley Davidson is touring around with one, showing it off, a, mm. kind of a prototype electric motorcycle. Yeah. That's, uh, is that the li- that's live wire? Is that it? I, I think that's it. I believe so. It's, it's very quiet. You know what? I have done a podcast about this. I should remember the name of it. I believe it's the Harley Davidson live wire. It's a, it was the concept. They, mm. they did a tour around the nation mm-hmm. and they were allowing people to test drive that vehicle and people who drove it really, or rode it, I guess, yep. really, really liked it. And the difference between an electric motorcycle versus an electric bike is that an electric bike has pedals that you can pedal. And you know, operate under manual power, whereas sure. an electric motorcycle does not. Sure, that's the main designation. And it's extremely powerful. It's as, just as powerful as a Harley Davidson motorcycle would be, only mm. in electric form. So you know, all the uh, all the other stuff that goes along with motorcycle ownership still apply. And and a lot of the considerations that you would have to have for a bicycle are no longer part of the the thought process, right? You don't need to have. You don't need to sit there and say, well, we can't put a motor on that's X powerful because then it adds so much weight to the bicycle that a bicyclist isn't going to be able to use it. With a motorcycle, you don't have to worry about that as much. No, you just worry about how fast that thing's going to go. Yeah, right. So let's talk about some of these motors, some of the ones. Now, keep in mind, like I said, some of these can be bought uh, completely, like you can buy a whole bike that uses this sort of stuff, or you can end up buying conversion kits or these in-hub systems where it's really an e-bike inside a bicycle wheel. Yeah. So you, you literally just replace a wheel with one of these and it'll turn it into an e-bike, which is pretty cool. You were talking about direct drive. Now, the direct yeah. drive are the ones that look like a uh, like a pie pan in the middle of your wheel. Yes. And that's the one that, that everything is housed within that, uh, that, I guess it would be a plastic outer casing, right? Yeah. Plastic in most cases, I right. believe. I think... Uh, you might find a couple that do some form of metal as the outside, like an aluminum uh, exterior. But again, you want to have, generally speaking, you want to have something that's going to be able to vent uh, heat because mm-hmm. it is going to build up heat inside of this thing. Yeah, exactly right. Now, the, the, the direct drive is just one type. There's also the geared systems or the geared motors that we'll talk right. about as well. But uh, if you, I, I found a pretty good uh, uh article that that describes some of the pros and cons of both types of the, of motors so mm-hmm. uh there's direct drive there's gear drive there's pros for both now the the pros for direct drive system the the pie pan type you know that has everything encased uh they're they're a lot more durable than the geared systems uh they're faster and they they tend to be quieter as well yeah. there's actually more pros for the geared systems that we'll talk about in just a second but um they provide less drag they're smaller of course they're lighter uh, but they do have more torque than the uh, than the direct drive systems. Yeah, now, I thought that was kind of strange. I, I would think, and that has to be just based on gearing, of course. Right. I mean, because you can make that work for you however you like, right? But the uh, the direct drive motors that we talked about, one thing that we said is that it's got to have a lot of torque in order to, to to work because the way it's mounted on the wheel, every one rotation of the wheel is one rotation of the motor as well. Right. And right. That has to be an extremely torquey motor in order for that to work. Yeah. So. Uh... That's the benefit of having gears, right? You can you can play with how many times the motor has to rotate to rotate a wheel. You can you can uh, use the the different sizes of gears to determine the actual speed. Sure. So you can you can gear it for speed, or you can gear it for pulling or for power. Right. Okay. Got it. Right. right. So, so kind of like a you know like a transmission in a car. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you you use these different things for different purposes. Like if you want to have a bike where it's just going to be the simplest version, the direct drive makes a lot of sense. Uh, it is it has the fewest moving parts of an electric motor 
uh, compared to the other variations that we've seen. And most of the kits that you'll find uh, or that you'll see have uh, have that direct drive yeah. uh, type of setup. Now, I've seen some that are geared that are still all self-contained. Sure. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's it's where you see, like, uh, essentially, there's a gear that the motor turns. Then there are maybe two gears that interlock with that. And then it goes inside a larger casing that has a, a, a gear-mounted, teeth-mounted on the uh, internal wall of the the, the hub. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what causes the, the hub to turn, thus making the wheel turn. Um, so all of that can be completely enclosed, too. But you can also have what, what I call mid-drive motors, where are, you have the external motor. It's not inside the hub of the wheel. Mm-hmm. It's mounted to the exterior of your bike. Um, it typically uh, it taps directly into your bicycle's gear drivetrain. So you essentially replace the, the chain wheel that your uh, pedals would attach to, the cranks on your pedals yeah, would the, attach to that. I think they call that the crank set. Yeah, you would replace that with the motor, the electric motor version. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it has the same sort of wheel that you would have to mount the chain to. Sure. But the motor helps drive that wheel so that when you start pedaling, the motor drives the actual wheel that your their pedal cranks are attached to. This sounds a lot closer to the, uh, the like a motorcycle setup, if swapping the uh, the gasoline engine for the electric motor, of course. Mm-hmm. But it's it's closer in, in position and the way that it drives that rear wheel, you know, with, right. the, with a chain or a belt in yeah. some cases, right? Yeah. Huh, that's interesting. I, those are a lot less common. Right. Then, then would be the, uh, the direct drive motor, which is the hub one, or the other one, the, the more complex geared system that you described. Right. Yeah. And, and these also tend to get really super expensive. These are the ones that can, uh, be really efficient because they're already using the ideal gears to turn your bicycle wheel. They're using the, the gears that the bicycle wheel uses anyway, yeah. except they would use under your normal pedal power. Yeah, and that's one thing that the direct drive motor does not provide you with. So, right. you know, the one that looks like the, the pie pan again, that really turns any bike that you're riding into a single-speed bike, but it, that's really all you need. Yeah. And that was pointed out in one of the reviews, I know, when the guy's riding, he's saying, well, you know, I I have the ability to switch gears here, but I can't do that now that this is mounted, but I don't even need it because... This kind of adapts to whatever whatever I need to happen. You know, if I right. need to go faster, I just pedal a little faster. Yeah. Uh, if I need to slow down, I back it down. And you know, oh, that's one thing that we should mention too is that um, some of the reviewers were saying that there's that that instant where you need to stop. Yeah. You know, and this thing is still powering, and it's there's a signal that's that's sent to that uh, that that motor, that direct drive motor, and it's usually by slightly back pedaling you yeah know, like the, you know in on uh, 10 speed where you can kind of freewheel yeah, yeah you can back back pedal without mm-hmm. having to you know hit a coaster brake like you would on an older bike right as long as you're not either on a yeah like an old single speed bike where you would yeah. you would use the pedal brakes and they didn't have any hand brakes just pedal brakes or or even a fixed gear bike where you could pedal backwards and that would actually cause the wheels to go backwards oh yeah yeah was, you know the fixies as the bike <laughs> bicycle enthusiasts like to call them fixies oh, yeah, i've fixies. never heard that never so oh. so that so that's what's going on with this is that when you want to stop when you want the the assist part of this to stop you backpedal slightly right and then you use the handbrakes to bring yourself to a complete stop right. but there's that there's that one moment you know where it depends on how fast you're going if it's you know five feet or ten feet that you travel in that time yeah uh there's that moment where it's pushing you along you would rather be stopping or you yeah. know you're you're Trying to, you have to kind of plan ahead, I guess, a little more with this type of setup right now. They haven't quite got it exactly right where it immediately responds to the need. Well, yeah, because when you're cutting power, what you're doing is, and we'll, we'll, I'll talk more about what's actually going on inside the motors here. When you're cutting power, you're essentially cutting electricity to electromagnets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it takes it takes a moment <laughs> for that that attraction uh, between your the magnets, the permanent magnets, or potentially another electromagnet inside the hub of your wheel to um, stop being attracted in in that circular motion, to sure. stop being driven forward. And, and this isn't so bad by any means that, you know, it's not worth buying it or anything like that. It's just it's it's something that everybody noted, like, oh, that's a little strange. But once I adjust to that, everything works out fine. Right. So, you know, let me talk a little bit about how those electric motors are working and mm-hmm. the basis on uh, electromagnetism. Great. So... Uh, I've talked about this so many times on Tech Stuff, and I know you long-term fans who have, have heard the electromagnetic uh, lecture 
a billion times. So, um, you know, go ahead and put this on two times speed and you can get through it. But I got to I got to cover it. So the basics of electromagnetism. If you have a coil of a conducting material, if you if you coil that conducting material around a core like, you know, the the classic classroom example is you take an an iron nail Mm -hmm. and you wrap some copper wire around the iron nail and then you run an electrical current through that wire. Uh, that electrical current will create a magnetic field and it will turn into an electromagnet. You can react with uh, ferrous materials, ferrous metals. And uh, so you can pick up iron filings with this thing because now you've got a magnet. If you put alternating current through it, then you've created uh, a fluctuating magnetic field, which uh, gets pretty interesting and is the basis of a lot of important technology. But anyway, if you've got these uh, electromagnets, uh, it creates this magnetic field. It'll attract other uh, opposite poled magnet materials. So if you have permanent magnets, uh, let's say you've got a whole bunch of neodymium magnets. Those are very popular for a lot of uh, applications these days. And you set them up around, let's say, a wheel, a free rotating wheel. And then you've got stationary electromagnets. And you can control which electromagnets are turning on and off at any given moment. And you turn them on and off in a pattern so that it's constantly attracting and repelling the magnets so that it creates a rotational force that will cause the wheel to rotate. Now, this isn't free energy because you're pouring electricity into those electromagnets. This is often one of the basics of... Uh, you'll see people who are peddling something they're calling a perpetual motion machine, but in reality, it's using electromagnets, which means that it has to get power from somewhere, which means it's not truly perpetual motion. It means it's perpetual motion as long as the electricity doesn't run out. It's funny you said peddling. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, it, you know, sometimes the pun is unintended, as in this case, and sometimes it is <laughs> intended. So... With this rotational force, that's what provides the basics of the electric motor. By the way, the reverse is also true. If you put a conductor into a fluctuating magnetic field, then it will induce electricity to flow through that conductor. So in other words, if I have an, uh, if, if I take that wire and I move it to something where there's a fluctuating magnetic field, meaning I'm, I've, I've got this polarity reversing over and over and over again, electricity will flow through that copper wire. So, the first version I mentioned, that's the basics of the electric motor. The second one is the basics of dynamos and magnetos and even alternators. Mm-hmm. So uh, with all that in mind, that direct drive system we were talking about is the easiest to imagine. Think of the uh, electromagnets as a, a circle of these coils of wire. So the coils of wire are kind of, uh, if, if you're thinking of it in that pie shape, you turn the bicycle wheel on its side and mm-hmm. you, you were to pull off the cover, you'd look at uh, essentially little columns of, of coils of electric wire set mm-hmm. up in a circle. Uh, and these would be stationary uh, relative to the rotation of the wheel. They are mounted to the axle. They do not rotate. Okay? Got so it. they are they, they're going to remain stationary compared to the rotation of the wheel. Around this... You would have a rotating uh, wheel a rota- or a rotating chamber that has permanent magnets mounted on it. All right. Now, these are the magnets that are going to be attracted and repelled by the electromagnets in the center. And because these can rotate, that change in electromagnetism is what's going to make it move and make the wheel turn, whether it's to assist you or to completely take over and act as an electric throttle. So that's where your direct drive system comes in. As in the power-on-demand bikes. Exactly. Uh, and there are some that I've seen that can act as both. Like the mid-drive, some of the mid-drives can act as pedal assist, or then you can switch it to throttle control, and then it just completely takes over for mm-hmm. you. Um, so this is a, this is the very basic version, the easiest one to understand with the electric motors. And uh, that that chamber of permanent magnets when it does one full rotation that's the full rotation of the wheel right and uh usually you have a multiple phase electric motor and that sounds really complicated but it's actually really easy in fact i'll give you a very simple uh example let's imagine that we have a clock an analog clock round clock regular old thing you've seen a billion times 
Now, imagine that instead of a number at each space where there normally would be one, you've got one of those coils of electric or, or, or copper wire. So you've got an electromagnet at each of the number spots. Okay. If you have a phase three motor, that means that uh, one third of those numbers are all going to essentially switch on and switch off simultaneously. The other two-thirds will do the same with their respective groups. So with the 12-number version for a standard clock, your 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and 9 o'clock positions would all turn on and off simultaneously. Then you would have the 1 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 7 o'clock, and 10 o'clock ones doing the same, Mm -hmm. and the 2, 5, 8, and 11 o'clock ones doing the same. And by switching between these, you can have a smoother transition to keep the bike wheel moving as smoothly as possible. Sure. So it's not like uh, it's not speeding up, slowing down, speeding up, slowing right. down. Right. Right. It's to try and keep that nice and smooth. And obviously, the more phases you have, then at least to some point, you, the smoother the 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 experience will be. Oh, you made that very easy to understand. I yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I looked at this a lot to try and figure out how I was going to explain mm-hmm. it. Worked well. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, uh, yeah, that's the, that makes the direct drive really easy to understand. The geared ones are a little, little more complicated, yeah. but not by a whole lot. Yeah, they're, they're different. And they've got some parts that wear as well, because they've got nylon gears. Yep. And as you can imagine, those, those, uh, you know, grinding on each other, um, they're going to show signs of wear over time and right. you're going to have to replace parts in them. So they're a little bit more complex than that. There's a, there's actually quite a few different things, you know, they're a little bit noisier. Yep. Um, they have a lower top speed typically. Now that again, we can talk about gearing again if you want, but I think that everybody kind of understands that, yeah, that yeah. you can play with that gearing however you want for, for an increased top speed if you need to. But typically they have a lower top speed if you buy a bike that has a setup with a geared system. It's more for, um, the heavy duty applications like the pulling or the, uh, the towing. Right. And, um, as we mentioned, durability, right? Um, that's, that's one thing. The, the, uh, you know, get it in there to service them. If you have to mm-hmm. uh, do this yourself or, you know, it could be expensive, I guess. Yeah. Uh, probably more expensive in the long run because of, uh, because of maintenance. I yeah. Would think. You're probably talking like 7,500 bucks at least to bring it into a bike shop to have it serviced. And honestly, the prices, I mean, from the kits that I was looking at, you know, the, the difference between buying a kit to add to your bike, you know, the difference between a geared motor and a direct drive motor, it was just about identical. So, you know, you, the 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 added expense that you're going to have with a geared motor is something that you have to consider, you know, somewhere down the road, you know, whether it be right. a year down the road or I don't know how often it would have to be serviced. I think it depends on use, really. Well, one other thing I would mention about the direct drive systems that is a drawback, mm-hmm. a small one, it's something called cogging. Ah, uh, cogging. I, I saw a, a someone trying to uh, trying to depict this on one of the reviews, and I, I didn't quite see what it was. What's so, the... so cogging is where you've got these magnets, right? Yeah. Inside inside the direct drive, they're constantly rotating because they're in the part that moves along with the rotation force of the wheel. Yeah. If you have your system unpowered, so you don't have any pedalec going, okay. so it's the electromagnets are off. Those magnets are somewhat attracted to the materials at the core of that wheel, the stationary part. So that part is stationary with respect to the ground, like with respect to the rest of the bike. And who wouldn't be? That's a good-looking part. Yeah, exactly. So when you're trying to pedal, that means that these magnets are slightly attracted to that stationary part. They're resisting moving. So you have to overcome that magnetic resistance to get them to move. It's not necessarily a significant like it's not it's not like you're going to be like straining to move forward a few inches but it means yeah. you have to work a little harder initially yeah to to get it moving because it has this drag effect oh, i got it so it's called cogging but really you could think of it as drag in the sense that it's a magnetic drag that is listed as one of the cons on this uh, in this article that i'm kind of following along with yeah. here and the uh the article i mean it's from a site called ebike kit Dot com. Mm-hmm. So that's where you can also buy a kit. But it was a review blog post that was done by somebody. And um, one of the cons that they mentioned for direct drive is drag drag when you do when you pedal. Right. Um, now, the other ones, you know, the geared systems, I guess, don't have that kind of drag. But th- there's more noise because those gears are constantly right. spinning in there. As exactly. Well. Um, the other thing, uh, the other cons, I guess, if we should want to just list them now for the direct drive system are that it, ha- it typically has less range. Uh, they're a lot, you know, a lot bigger and mm-hmm. they're heavier. 
than the geared systems would be because the geared systems can be much smaller. They're, they're, uh, again, it's just based on gearing, how, how right. efficient you want to make them. And we've talked about batteries. We've talked, and I felt I, I missed my chance to mention this, but the size of the battery matters as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you want a big, powerful battery. You're going to go a little bit fast. It's going to be able to power that, um, you know, that, that motor, whether it's a direct drive or whether it's a geared system, it's going to be able to, to, I guess, expel or expend more juice to make that thing go a little faster. Right. Um, it's, it's very similar to, if you think about the, uh, like the Tesla cars, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's the, the version I think that has a 60 kilowatt, uh, I think I'm getting these numbers right. I hope I am Uh 60 kilowatt battery. And then there's an 85 kilowatt battery and that's right. the, the higher performance version. Right. So it depends on the battery size and the output of that battery, how fast you're going to go. Also the size of the motor, the output of the motor, you know, you need to get the right pairing. And there's some other really cool things that we're starting to see paired with these electric bikes, bikes, especially the, the wheel systems that are coming out. There are two in particular that I was really interested in, but there's more than that. You actually mentioned another one when we were talking before we came in here, but the Copenhagen or Copenhagen wheel from MIT mm-hmm. and the Flycly wheel, which, uh, some have suggested might have taken more than a little bit of inspiration from the Copenhagen wheel. Oh, but the truth is these direct drive motors all look the same. It's all yeah. the same idea. So right. that's hard to say. The implementation is really what's important here yeah. because it also depends on the sensors that you include. And that's where we're starting to see more complexity. Like the, yeah. the when you break it down, a direct drive in-hub system is one of the simplest electric motors that you can have. But... The complexity comes in these other sensors that come to play. Like some of these kits use, uh, you know, how do they know when to kick in and help give you pedal assist, mm-hmm. for example? Some of them, you mount a small magnet on one of the spokes of your wheel and mounted to a stationary part of the bicycle is a sensor. And every time the magnet passes the sensor, it, it, uh, clocks it so it knows all right it, the the wheels having this many rotations per minute therefore they're pedaling this amount therefore i will kick in this much assistance yeah you know about 30 years ago i had a speedometer on a bicycle that worked the same way yeah it's it's really simple it's really basic and right. a lot of there's a lot of sensors in automobiles that work that same way as well it's just a counter right it's just counting one two three it's well it's just more like one 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 right right, but, right. Uh, but it's just every rotation is saying it's just registering that right as, as movement right and then there are other ones that are torque sensors right yeah. these are these are calculating how much force the bicyclist is applying to the pedals and it kicks in the electric motor to help counteract that force to to keep it either very smooth or to just say like all right we have a threshold here and anything beyond this threshold we need to kick in the electronic assist so that way we're not making the the bicyclist pedal yeah. too hard and that's a bit more complex yeah obviously yeah and it also means that it tends to be more expensive. Like yeah. the systems that have that version of sensor are more expensive than the the ones that just count rotations. And some of these are wired systems and some are wireless systems. Right. And we talked about um, earlier, we talked about uh, the control of these these systems and, and some of the readouts, you know, because a lot right. of the kits come with an LCD dashboard. Mm-hmm. And it'll tell you all the information you need to need to know about, you know, the range, you know, what you have left, uh, battery power, et cetera, you know, you can all that. Adjust how much help you're getting, like whether it's, uh, you know, a, a little bit of help or a lot of help, that yeah, kind of stuff. You can put it in different modes, like eco mode, which is, you know, less help and it's uh, it saves the battery. I guess you have an extended amount of range, or you can mm-hmm. put it in performance mode or whatever they, you know, call it by the manufacturer. But some of them are controlled with your smartphone, right? And now, <laughs> this is one of the downsides of this, though. I mean, it's really cool that you can do that. And you can mount it right in the center of your of your handlebars, you know, right where you can see it. But you still have to avert your eyes from the traffic or wherever you are right. in order to look down at that smartphone. And then you have to interact with it. So it's sort of akin to texting and driving or texting and biking. Right. In a way. I know they make the controls very easy. You know, it's uh, it's large buttons. You just touch and swipe. And once you get accustomed to where that is, uh, you might be able to do that. You know, relatively quickly. You know, right. you won't have to stare at stare at it for quite as long as you will when it's new to you. But you know, the more options you have, the more the more complex the interface is going to be. So, for example, if you have the Copenhagen wheel, uh, it's got a lot of different options, right? Yeah. And you have an app that connects to the wheel, and it's using low energy Bluetooth, so it's not sipping a whole lot of power. Although, in fact, I would say that 
for your smartphone, the most power that's being consumed is just powering the display. Mm-hmm. Like that display is going to suck up more battery power than the low energy Bluetooth. However, all that being said, if you've got lots and lots of options, that means you got to swipe through stuff too. And that makes it even more complicated because your, your attention is taken away from your surroundings and the road even more so that you can switch. Uh, they also have uh, options for things like regenerative braking or regenerating some of that electricity uh, by putting it into exercise mode, which is where you're you're kind of working against the motor. The idea being that uh, it's it's sort of reversing this this trend instead of uh, the electricity causing the motor to turn and thus giving you help. You are pushing the motor, which is causing electricity to flow the other direction and recharge the battery. It's turning a motor into a dynamo, in other words. Yeah. And now one of the one of the models that I saw, um, you know, demoed, I think it was maybe the Copenhagen wheel is the one that if you're backpedaling as you're in motion, if you're yeah. so, the, so the motor you're you're saying to the motor, you don't want it to assist you in pedaling at this point. Mm-hmm. You backpedal. That's the regenerative mode. That's right. it's, it's you're you're gaining uh, battery power, I guess, by doing that. And. You can also make a hill work for you in the same way, right? Yeah, when you're going down the hill, you put it in exercise mode, which normally would mean you'd have to pedal harder to get to wherever you were going. Like, let's say you're on a totally flat surface. You've got everything turned off, and you and you ride across this flat surface. You're using a certain amount of energy in order to do that. If you turned on exercise mode, you'd have to put in a little extra energy because now you're working against that motor to kind of regenerate yeah. electricity. If you're going down a hill, you let gravity do that extra work for you. So you switch from pedal assist to exercise and you can regenerate some of that electricity, giving your battery a little bit extra juice so that you can make it all the way to work. But that means having to switch modes in mid ride. And that's where we're getting into this. Like, how do you do that in a way that's not distracting the the bicycle we'll see with that one you're not looking down at the screen and, and swiping through you're just physically doing something and i thought that was a, a great way to handle that in that yeah. you know you just you slightly backpedal everybody can remember that and you don't have to look down to do that and i was thinking why don't they start to incorporate some of these controls in the handlebars as if it would be a, uh, a game controller because right. once you learn a game controller and you know whether, whether it takes you 10 minutes or if it takes you 10 weeks to learn that game controller you know maybe not 10 weeks but you understand where it is. You don't have to look down, you know, to find out where the X button is or where the A button is. It, right. it becomes natural. It's a, it's a, you know, um, memory. muscle memory. Muscle yeah. memory. That's the yeah. term. Uh, so once, if you if you were to have a system that was universal, mm-hmm. you know, that all design, all e-bike designers use this, you know, that, that use the same hand controls on the, on the, uh, the uh, not the pegs, on the um, handlebars, handlebars yeah. the handle grips. Yeah, yeah. It would be something that uh, I think everybody could benefit from because you know you could sure you could still have your your phone there and you could have that you know set up so that yeah I'm gonna I'm just gonna put it in eco mode and I'm gonna leave it there but every other control you know from that point on I can use hand controls without looking down right. I think that would be great for somebody who's in traffic and crowded cities like what we're talking mm-hmm. about now most of them aren't as advanced as that we're, that we were talking about that's that's the the top end. Really expensive ones. The yeah. ones that I'm, I'm sure that, you know, most of, you know, the people in these crowded cities that are, have these kind of early versions of e-bikes, they're not that complex. They, they respond more to the physical commands, like what uh, we were talking about with the backpedaling for regeneration right. and things like that. And some of them do have things like uh, thumb throttles or thumb controls to either set it on, uh, you know, pedal assist or they might have a, a twist throttle for the uh, fully powered electric bikes. Sure, like a mini bike or yeah. a, a motorbike would have. Yeah. Yeah. So there there are those versions, but the ones that uh, I've seen, like the Flycline, the Copenhagen, both of those are completely uh, one wheel systems that then hook up. Like once you once you detach your existing rear wheel, and then uh, install the the Copenhagen wheel or the Flycly wheel, uh, then all you do is you you hook it up to your smartphone, and mm-hmm. then that's what activates it. So uh, it also has some interesting safety features, like you can deactivate it so that if someone were to take your wheel, it wouldn't be of any use to them because they couldn't turn it back on again. Yeah, um, we mentioned theft, right? Because that's uh, that's something that a lot of people would be concerned with if their back wheel of their bike is worth is now worth $2,000. Right. Just <laughs> one wheel, right? I mean, right. it's just a matter of two bolts to get that thing off of there, yeah. right? So you park your bike and it's worth $2,000, the, the back end, and then whatever else the rest of the bike costs. Right. Probably an expensive bike, I yeah. would guess. So what, what prevents somebody from just 
either walking away with your bike, which I guess they could do anyways, yeah. or just taking that that uh, that wheel off. I mean, it, you'd have to be very creative about how you chain this thing up or or what you do with it. But there's there's uh, a safety in place, I guess, if it does walk away. Right. Yeah. There's a couple of them. Right. There's one that has the electric motor turn off and it doesn't turn on again until it recognizes the handshake with your particular smartphone because you've paired it. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's also some that have GPS in them so that should the wheel go wandering, you can track down where it is. Kind of similar to like, uh, where's my iPhone? Yeah. That sort of stuff. It will alert you if it's moving when you're not near it. Yeah. Which is interesting. I like that. That's a useful feature. Uh, the Copenhagen one, I think, is seven ninety nine, and I think the Flycly is something like six hundred or six ninety nine. Uh, they're they're about a hundred dollars off. I remember that, hmm. and uh, so they're both pretty expensive. I mean, if you're looking at a brand new bicycle, depending upon what market you're in, it could be the same price as your bike, and that's just a wheel. Yeah, that's so, just one and, wheel. And the e-bike kits that I was I was mentioning, you know, that's uh, that, that I keep saying that site. I hope you don't mind, but it's no, ebikekit.com because they have a lot of good information there as well. And they, again, they range from about $775 up to about 2000 was the the top one I saw. But you're talking about different um completely different packages. Like that 775 kit, it doesn't it it has no battery and it has no charger. Right. Um so you're going to have to add on to that thing, right? The other one has everything as I mentioned. But the difference, one of the biggest differences is in the top speed and the range of these things. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the lower kits tend to, to have a lower top speed and a, and a slightly less range, you know, or lower range, I guess, in, mm-hmm. as far as the distance you can travel. Um, you know, maybe maybe the uh, the low end one is like, you know, 12 to 15 miles right. with power assist. And the, the upper range one can go all the way up to about 54 miles. So a 54-mile bike ride on one charge. That's pretty good. I mean, yeah. and, and you know, top speed of about 28 miles per hour. Now, you might be limited in some cities to what speed you're allowed to travel sure. because there are restrictions on some of these things. Yeah, in the UK it's 25 kilometers an hour, which is about 15 miles per hour. Yeah, and here yeah. it's a little bit faster in the states here. I think it was what 20 is. Yeah, I think so. And and then there's that odd strange thing. It's not it's not so odd really when you really think about it because everybody's going to want to go a little bit faster, right? Yeah. There's going to be that group that wants the uh, the sport version, right? So there's the S Pedal X for those people and that stands for Speedy Pedal X. <laughs> and uh, the difference is they're, they have a more powerful motor. Um, you know, of course, you, you can do unlimited pedal assist if you want. So it can be kind of like a power on demand type system. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you know what? I'm going to take that back again. I don't know if it if will do that, but it has unlimited when I'm saying it now, I'm understanding it. It's a uh, it's unlimited pedal assist. So, you know, once you reach that 20 miles per hour, it doesn't right. kind of cut out like the the ones that are limited. So, would if do. you're capable of powering it further, it will continue to assist you. And and you would be because see, it's one of those things where like you because it's a pedal assist system, you would be able to get up to 20 miles per hour no problem. Right. And then once you continue, it's like you're putting out less energy to go faster, and then you put out just a little bit more, and you can go way faster. Right. And it just carries on. And I'm sure there's got to be an upper limit. There has to be a a, a top limit, but really the the speed cutout is set far far higher and for this type of system uh you know things like um you know helmets and and protective gear are required because they realize that it's closer to a a scooter or a motorcycle even in some right. cases depends on how fast you can go but the speedy pedelecs are are something for you know the people that want to uh, kind of take it to the next level right i i don't think i'm going to need anything quite at that level yeah. if i if i do invest in one of these uh and I gotta say that something else we should mention is that the in-hub systems do have other, uh, other things you gotta remember. For one, it's going to offset the weight of your bicycle. Like it's going to put a lot more weight on whatever wheel you're replacing. Yeah. Because- and we're talking like ballpark 10 pounds. Yeah. I mean, that's right around where it is. It's a, you know, I've seen nine pound systems and I've seen 13 pound systems. Right. So somewhere in there. Yeah. So that's going to be something to keep in mind. Uh, as opposed to some of the other, like the, the mid drive systems, they kind of balance the weight out uh, across the frame of the bicycle. So you don't have one section of the bike that is, uh, is heavier than it otherwise would be. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, well, well that's important for riding, you know, for the, for the way it feels on sure. the road, but it's even more important when you're trying to carry it up the stairs and put it in your house at night. Right. Yeah. So I'll, I'll be uh, I'll be sure to keep all of my listeners uh, posted if I if I invest in one of these things. I would love to see it if you if you ride that into work. I would love to come down to the uh, the parking structure or whatever and yeah. uh, maybe even take it for a quick. Spin oh sure, the block. yeah, it's, no. uh, it's interesting. Yeah, it's funny because it will mean that my wheel will be much more valuable, or at least 
cost a lot more than my bike did because I got my bike for free. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so automatically the wheel will be more expensive. A free bike. Yeah. That's nice. There's a thing called Free Cycle Atlanta where people give away stuff when they don't have space for it anymore. And you found a bike? And they, yeah, a guy was giving away his bike. Wow. So I got a bike. It's not, it's not fancy. It's not, it's not a super fancy bike, but yeah. it's, it's a bike. Do they have any boats there? <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd like a boat, but I don't necessarily want to buy a boat. The second happiest day of my life was when I bought my boat. <laughs> happiest day of my life was when I sold it. <laughs> All right. Well, Scott, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, of course. It was uh, my pleasure. Uh, and, and in, in addition to the website you mentioned, I also want to mention electricbikereview.com, which has some great articles and some great videos. If you are interested in buying an electric bike or buying a conversion kit, they have everything you would need to know, uh, and they also review them. So you can actually look and see if they've reviewed the system you're interested in and see what they have to say about it. Always helpful. Yeah, they, they had like a 15-minute long uh, review of the Copenhagen wheel, for example, mm-hmm. which was very interesting. They they went into great detail about it. So, uh, and Scott, if people want to find your stuff, where do they go? Oh, sure. Yeah, we have our own website, which is carstuffshow.com. And, uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. We are Car Stuff HSW. Yep. And uh, same here for Tech Stuff. We're Tech Stuff HSW on Facebook and Twitter and over on Tumblr. And you can also send me an email, techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Uh, following this episode, we're going to have a couple of rerun episodes. That's just so that we have enough buffer between when we break this studio down and when our next studio is ready to go. And I didn't want you guys to go a single week without any episode. So don't be frightened if you hear some reruns. It's just temporary, I promise. And you will hear new stuff from me really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 